right now we're going to go back to Edmonton, the World Juniors going on. I want to get more in-depth with this with our good friend Derek Van Deest of Post Media in Edmonton. Derek, uh, how are you today? How's, how's the World Juniors going? Hey, Jim, I'm good. I'm doing well. The World Juniors, it's, uh, fine. it's a day off today, which is a nice little respite from being at the arena for 12, 13 hours a day for the last six days. Um, it's, it's going. Let's just say that. I don't want to say it's going well. Uh, they're playing the games. No one's really watching the games. Uh, even the Canada games aren't drawing very much. So um, it's kind of just going. It's there. They're kind of going through the motions right now. They're going into the quarterfinal stages. Um, I believe the tournament, as it goes into the knockout round now, may pick up a little bit of momentum. But it's this event, really a lot of people don't know about it, don't care about it, don't want to be there, don't want to have anything to do with it. There's just, they, they just want to distance themselves from, from this event, it seems like, here in Edmonton. Because we're, we're watching some games, not necessarily the Canada games, but we're watching some games where literally the media are the only people in the arena. So it's, it's just... Uh, it's 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 a, it's an interesting experience, and I've experienced a lot of hockey, uh, summer hockey here in in the past three years with the NHL bubble, and then uh, the World Juniors in the bubble, and, and and this goes up there with one of the, the stranger tournaments that I've covered in a sense that we're it's in August, we're in a freezing cold building. They they got the temperature turned down in that arena uh, significantly, so you're in a freezing cold building. There's nobody in the building. Uh, and they're trying to just make the best out of a of, of a bad situation. I think. So this is what I, I want to. Obviously, we're going to talk about the sexual sca- uh, scandal, sexual assault scandal that's going on with Hockey Canada. But I wanted to focus first on August and if that plays into a lot of this because it's hard. I I would think to separate the two. I think it's a combination, and maybe more so with the scandal that Hockey Canada is dealing with, Derek. But. In your opinion, like, was August a good idea? I know they wanted to fit it in. I know they wanted to make it up. But is August a good idea for a tournament like this? I don't think so. I don't think summer hockey flies. Um, but you're looking at the calendar, and, um, I, you know, you this is pretty much the only time they could get it in because you look at the junior hockey schedule, a lot of these kids, some of these kids are playing in the Memorial Cup. The, the junior hockey year didn't end until almost July. I think I was at the Memorial Cup in St. John in New Brunswick, and I believe the, the Memorial Cup, the final was on June 29th. So so they couldn't do it before then, and then basically a lot of the kids wanted to get ready for, for NHL. They had NHL, uh, the draft, and then they had development camps, and then they had a, a lot of things to do this. So I think this was literally the only time they could kind of fit this in because a lot of these kids from this tournament are going to go play at the U.S. college with the U.S. college teams, or they're going to go to, to rookie camps, uh, soon with their NHL teams uh, or their, the European seasons are going to start. So I think this is really, if they were going to fit this tournament in, um, this is really the only time they could do it. Uh, and it's unfortunate um, because, as you know, in, in Winnipeg and here at Edmonton, summer is where you spend uh, time at the lake. You spend time with your family. You go on vacation. You don't want to be inside during the summer because, you know, Canada, we only get 10 weeks of summer. So we're going to jam as much as we can into it. And I think that was the, that's the situation that's happened here. There's people would rather do a lot of other things, even just sit on a patio and have a cold, cold beverage than to sit in a cold arena and, and watch a hockey game. I agree wholeheartedly. Now let's talk about the sexual assault scandal and the, the fallout that's dealing with hockey Canada. Um, and I don't want to alleviate any of this from hockey Canada, but I watch these players and I, I think that, you know, they didn't sign up for this. Um, what are you hearing around Edmonton and what are you hearing around this world juniors concerning that specifically of maybe people not wanting to go out and support the team? 
Yeah, and I think it's it's more of you're absolutely right. It's unfortunate that all the players are getting painted with the same brush here with the, the Canadian players. They're all getting painted with the Hockey Canada brush because they're all under the Hockey Canada umbrella. And I think right now it's the brand that's toxic. It's the Hockey Canada brand. And I think you have to really blame Hockey Canada leadership for that because when this all came about, there was people calling for, for resignations. They said, hey, you know what? The management's got to resign. You guys, The guys that created this mess can't be the ones to try and clean it up. And I think that is the problem right now. Um, and you look at, uh, I know that uh, the board of directors had a change, but, but you look at the president of Hockey Canada is still there, um, and, and, he, and he refuses to go away. Scott Smith says, I'm not going away. I'll clean up this mess. And I think that's, that's an issue. And another issue is that they haven't really faced this head on. There's no one here from Hockey Canada has, has, has done a press conference. No one here from the IHS has done a press conference. They're just hoping it all goes away. And I think right now that's made this brand, the Hockey Canada logo, the Hockey Canada brand toxic. People do not want to wear jerseys that have Hockey Canada logo on. They don't want to wear golf shirts that have Hockey Canada logo on. They just don't want to associate with Hockey Canada right now just because of all that's going on. And it's not just a sexual assault allegation in 2018. It's the one in 2003. It's the slush fund that they had to pay off these allegations. I think that's the one that's really upset a lot of people, especially parents that have kids in hockey and have had to pay the hockey registrations, and then you find out part of that hockey registration has gone to have this, I think they call it the National Equity Fund, um, but basically it's a fund to pay off sexual assault victims that from, from people that have gone under the Hockey Canada umbrella. So right now the brand is toxic, and I think that's what's keeping a lot of people away. They just want nothing to do with Hockey Canada, and that's just not fans. That's sponsors, and that's a lot of other people as well. They're just keeping their distance away from Hockey Canada. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, they need to figure that out um, for a direction too. I think that's the other thing is there hasn't been any real resolutions from Hockey Canada as well. Um, is this a cloud, do you think, over this Team Canada? Like, I know they're focused on hockey, and it, it really has nothing to do with them right now for the players' standpoint, but um, do you feel like... You know, they're not talking about not addressing it. I understand that. But they must feel this, too, with this weight of this tournament and the lack of fans and everything else. Oh, I think they do. And, and they don't feel – I know they're out there. They're enjoying playing. These are the kids that they enjoy representing their country. They enjoy going out there and playing. But this doesn't have the feel of a normal world junior. And it's, and it's not going to be like a normal world junior. It's not the same thing as representing your country in December and playing in a, in a world junior December pre-COVID where the, the arenas were packed and and, every, and basically everyone kind of stops and, and watches this team play. And, and for two weeks, uh, these young junior players become household names. And then you kind of follow them on to the NHL level. It, it doesn't have the same feel. And part of that is because this team, there's a lot of turnover. There's, I think there's nine players from the team in December that said, you know what? We're not playing in August. We're preparing for NHL seasons. We've moved on from junior hockey. Uh, and we're going from there. So I think uh, I think that part of it has to do with it. The guys that are on the ice, they just want to play. Uh, but you can sense that they know it's not. This is almost kind of like a preview to the tournament in December for the kids that will get to play in December as well. This is kind of like, okay, we'll get to play this in August, but then we're going to get to do it three months later now in December, and that will have more of a world junior feel to it. And for the guys that aren't going to play in December, this is just a kind of a tournament to kick off. And, and to kind of end their junior hockey careers. To the point you're making over and over again with this interview, Derek, uh, we have yet to talk about the team itself, like on the ice and how they're doing and everything else. So uh, let's uh, let's do that as well. Uh, what do you think their chances are? 
Oh, I think they'll win. I think they're their best team at the tournament, even without nine top-end players that have decided to move on and go to the next level. They're, they're still uh, head and shoulders the best team in this tournament. We thought maybe Sweden might challenge him. Uh, the Swedes didn't look good the other night playing against the United States. Uh, we thought the Finns might challenge him. To be honest, outside of a couple of goals in the third period, Canada was rolling over them. They were up 5-1, cruising in the third period. Then they took a five-minute major, and then uh, Sweden got a couple of goals, and then Canada turned it on again. So uh, I think the only team that can challenge Canada at this tournament is the United States, but even then, I, I don't think they have enough uh, firepower uh, to to beat Canada, I think they they beat them. They beat them. They beat Canada in the finals two years ago. But I, you look at that game, and I think it was one kind of a more of a one off. If they those two teams two years ago play that game, play a, a best of seven series, Canada probably wins that series four one four two. So they're head and shoulders to me, in my opinion, the best team at this tournament. Um, and and we're going to see it tomorrow. They're going to roll over Switzerland. They kind of roll over teams, and then it'll be interesting to see. Um, they'll probably play Sweden in the semifinal, and I'm a, I'm assuming. United States in the final. The United States will be their toughest test, uh, but to me, they're the most talented team on the ice, and uh, uh, and and yeah, they're going to be tough to beat. Always appreciate your time and your insight, Derek. Thanks for doing this. Enjoy the rest of the tournament, and we really appreciate the update. Well, thanks for having me on, Jim. Yeah, Derek Van Deest. You can read his fine work, Post Media Edmonton. I highly recommend you do so, and uh, great coverage. Always have uh, fun having Derek on. excited for my next guest and it is Jackie Porter certified financial advisor partnered with PC Financial for a survey on money talks with kids Jackie good afternoon how are you I am great how are you I am great thank you I saw this today and I'm so thankful you could join us because I'm really intrigued about this Um, the survey which was done says that the money talk with kids from an early age almost 70% of youth surveyed had first learned about finances from their parents, and almost 9 in 10, which is 89%, parents began discussing basic money management with their children at the age of 15 or younger. Can you just touch on those two points and, and what the survey helped find? Yeah, I, I think it just it just is a great uh, habit that parents are actually passing on to their children, talking to them about money, as soon as possible and and recognizing that in the long term, it just contributes to their kids feeling more confident about money. One of the things in the survey that I was excited to see, it's certainly I'm a generation Xer. We certainly didn't have these money conversations um, when I was growing up. Money was a very taboo subject. So great to see that, you know, the generation like the generation Xers talking to their kids are breaking those barriers. So the fact that 85% of, of teens are saying that they're more comfortable talking to their parents or, or guardians about their finances to me is a huge milestone. So, and I'm, I don't know what generation I am, but uh, I remember <laughs> being told immediately um, the minute I started working as a teenager to put money away. And I remember to save it and don't spend it. But I also remember like, even if it's when I got my first job out of college, even if it's $25, start an RSP. I remember that advice. Um, uh, how, where are we right now uh, con- con- concerning this survey with, is this happening a lot sooner? Is this um, something that, and what are these discussions I- involved particular other than the ones I'm used to it when I was a kid about just save your money? Yeah, I, I actually think, well, according to the survey, 47% of 
parents said they were 16 or older when they learned about finances, but they're talking to their kids, um, you know, they're talking to their kids, again, as you said, much, much sooner. So it's, again, very, very encouraging. I think that these days, uh, some of the things that parents are spending a lot of time talking to their kids about, because again, money was a subject that was kind of forbidden. I, I don't remember having, I don't know about you, dinner table conversations with parents around money. Um, so I think some of the things that are pass- being passed on are, are no different than some of the lessons that your parents seem to have passed on, which is money values, how to spend your money, and m- making sure kids understand that, you know, there's these there's these lessons, there's these financial lessons that the earlier you learn it, the more you're likely to overcome challenges later. So, you know, putting money away for the future, putting money away for retirement, you know, also thinking about budgeting, figuring out what your needs and wants are, because, you know, uh, money isn't an unlimited resource. So how do you make the most out of it? I, I think are really important conversations that parents are having with their children, especially in this specific time we're living in which everything's going up at such a crazy rate yeah i can't imagine i recently had the allowance discussion and good for you good for you blew a 10 year old blew a 10 year old's mind when i said well it was a dollar a week and then i think at the last time before i had a job it was five dollars a week and just like what's the point of doing any chores because <laughs> at that rate so that's the disconnect there is with with i think our generation to where the new one is is what money is the value of it and as you said how everything's going up what are a good conversation what is some of the tips parents listening would go okay this is how you even start this conversation because i could also understand talking to a nine or a ten year old and just not understanding like them getting the value of the dollar yeah, I, I think the earlier we can involve them in these money conversations, the better. So I, I think, as you said, uh, anytime there's a money scenario happening that you have to discuss with your kids. So with younger kids, they're getting, you know, birthday gifts as money. They're, you know, getting, they're getting, as you said, allowances. What are they doing with that money? This is a time to get them thinking about setting up a bank account, you know, putting money away in a, a bank account saving a percentage of that money. So these are great times to share those values. Whenever we have these everyday occurrences that we have to deal with as parents talking about money. Um, Another time is kind of the time we're in right now, right? Back to school season. So um, again, a lot of kids don't know the difference between needs and wants. Um, They might think, I want to get all these different things for back to school. You know, FYI, for a lot of parents, back to school, like, School just ended a few months ago, so it's not a brand new year, and there's not all this brand new money coming out of nowhere. So I, I think involving the, the, the kids in the conversation, helping them to prioritize the things that they need, helping them to you know figure out what you can actually afford. So you, you can sort of say to them, well, tell me all the things you want. What are the things you can't live without? Because you can only get three of those things or whatever the case may be just to help them prioritize and understand that money is a limited resource. And then just actually as, as kids get older, they're going to have to adult, right? Be an adult. Adulting is what I keep hearing millennials talk about where they're going to have to, at some point when they start university or college, figure out how to make all these decisions on their own. So helping them to figure out, you know, how much money they have to work with. I, I, I think as an advisor, I'm helping parents set up RESPs and education plans. But for a lot of parents, it's not going to cover everything. 
their children are going to have to maybe pay for transportation to school, or they may have to pay for books, or they may have to pay for their own entertainment. So helping them to put money aside for those things. And, you know, as they enroll in or apply for university or college, having those kinds of conversations to say, okay, this is what we're going to pay for. This is what your expectation is, is for you to pay for. And just giving them responsibilities around money, I think is a really important habit to, you know, really get kids um, comfortable with. And what age do you recommend this at, or is any age uh, any age, any opportunity to, like, I think, as I said, when they get their first birthday and all that money comes to them, well, what does that mean? Right. That's a great time to, you know, set up a bank account. I know um, there's different bank accounts out there. So the easier you can have that whole process look like, I know PC Money offers, um, you know, bank accounts, PC Money accounts, where you can put money in the account, you can, the kids can kind of see how much they're Spending. They can get points, which is another way to build out and stretch out your dollar further. You can kind of talk to them about all these really positive habits they're going to need to develop as time goes on and, and learn how to be more financially resilient as, as time goes on. Any experience with, or, or I don't know even if there's data to put you on the spot, but any experience with how these conversations have maybe paid off? Like maybe, you know, you, you know some people that talk to their 11-year-old and here we are 10 years mm-hmm. later and they're helping pay for their own school and, and whatnot. Well, you know, I think one of the points of the survey that I thought was amazing was youth are saying that their parents' money habits have influenced how they manage money today. So keep in mind, that's the first, that's often the first opportunity that that kids have to learn about money is through their parents. And I know anecdotally that, that clients that come through my office say, They've had great money experiences with their parents, and they'll likely they've been repeating those habits. They tend to be wealthier, and the ones that say they've had not so great experiences, well, sometimes when it's on the positive side, they'll think, "I want to do things totally different than my parents did," or um, they're saying, "This is a point of vulnerability for me, and I'm looking at ways to overcome that." So, you know, the, the first brush of knowledge that we have with finances is through our parents. So it's always great if those lessons can be positive ones that can turn around being really positive money memories that we can turn around and pass on to our own children as well. Are there any... That's a great great legacy. (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure it would be. Are there any negative conversations that might should be avoided or or did the survey show anything that like, you know, this didn't um, react well with, with the kids we talked to? No, I, I don't think there's anything negative that can be that can be gleaned from having money conversations early. In fact, what I thought was interesting as well was that 85% of youth said that they felt more comfortable talking to their parents around money and they felt more comfortable making money decisions themselves. So I think that's you know, again, a great, uh, a great positive experience that children are having, learning about money sooner, tackling money issues earlier, that could only mean, you know, that they'll have an opportunity to build on that knowledge and become even more um, financially confident earlier than later. You know, in my office, I'm seeing parents in my office who didn't learn these lessons, who feel really vulnerable when it comes to money. And so the earlier you can develop those habits and feel like that this is something you've got, that you understand, and, you know, you lose, you sort of crush those fears you have around learning about money, 
the, the better off financially you tend to be as well. And I would think to just touch on your last point, there's some stress with parents too, to, you know, as your kids get older that you, you handle your own finances well because you have kids and they, you, you know, you, you don't want to be able to say not provide and, and do things like that. So there's some, some pressure there to good money conversations, not only for I, the kids, but for parents as well. Well, here's the thing that um, I think a lot of parents struggle with. They, they feel like they have to be perfect when it comes to everything, when it comes to parenting. You don't have to be perfect when it comes to understanding money. What you need to do is be transparent and say, here, you know, I, I actually think if we're going to really break the money taboo, we just have to be honest with ourselves, honest with our kids. We can say, here is something I struggled with. Here's something I'm struggling with. Here's how I'm overcoming it. I think kids, you'd be surprised. They're very, very resilient. What they really want to make sure is that the conversations are happening and that they actually start to learn that it's okay to not be perfect when it comes to money. It's just okay to be taking action around money and having conversations to build your literacy. So I think parents shouldn't feel like they can't talk about money and saying, you know, I I don't know about you, but I grew up in an age where my mother was always telling us, telling our kids, we can't afford this. We just don't have the money. (laughs) And I I didn't end up in therapy. And I think that kids are okay saying, you know, you saying, here's what the financial circumstances look like. I'm worried about inflation. I'm worried about this. But here's how, what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to be a little bit leaner. We're going to practice some, you know, financial um, fiscal responsibility and explain to what these things mean. And, you know, so that they understand that you're also working towards overcoming whatever financial fears or challenges you have. I think that's really the crucial thing that I think parents can take away. We don't have to be perfect. With our kids, when it comes to money, we just have to show them that we're have, we're willing to have the conversation and we're taking action around things that we don't feel comfortable with. That's so a that great we can get point. more comfortable. Yeah, so, just so part- we get more comfortable with money conversations with our kids and ourselves. Just participating in discussion is is that's that's a great point. It's a PC financial survey that finds Canadians are starting to talk about their finances earlier. Times are changing. With eighty nine percent of parents surveyed discussing finances with their kids under the age of 16. You can let us know how you do or if you have had that conversation, what age it started with your kids on our text line at 780-6868. Jackie, this has been fascinating. Really appreciate the survey and the conversation. Thanks for sharing your insight. No problem. Have a great rest of the day. You too. Jackie Porter, uh, certified financial advisor and partnered with PC Financial for this survey on Money Talks with Kids. Ken Weeb of Sportsnet.ca and 680CGOB joining me today. How are you, sir? Jimmy, always great to speak with you. Uh, nobody appreciates the uh, hair metal more than I do, and we hope that our listeners also uh, enjoy the uh, walks down memory lane, whether it's with Cinderella or other people. I'm pretty sure they don't, but I'm pretty sure they enjoy every other aspect <laughs> that we bring to the uh, show. They, they maybe hopefully wait patiently for the ballads to end, and then we get started. Uh, before we talk about Mark Shifley, the Manitoba Open, everything else, this is a significant day, and I was there. I don't want to go on and on about it because I think most people know, but how do you remember this day five years ago, um, getting two hole-in-ones in one round at Glendale Golf and Country Club? I still call it the miracle of Glendale, but um, I know as time passes, I, we joke about it all the time, you and I, but what's it like when you, you sort of wake up and you go, man... Five years ago today, I did something rather miraculous. 
Yeah, Jimmy, it's hard to believe it's been five years already, but uh, certainly that was a pretty magical day and a memorable one for sure. Um, what we what we never talk about uh, is the uh, two double bogeys to start the round and the frustration out of the gate. But uh, yeah, seeing that first one go in, that was my first of my career. That was a pretty cool moment. And the thing, honestly, the thing that I remember, I know you remember this as well, Jim, those two junior golfers that were playing behind us that were on the second green, but I think they cheered louder than we did about the first one because they saw it go in first. And uh, the second one is just ridiculous, right? So, um, you know, <laughs> Hexy, uh, tall tree on the right, that's your target. Uh, hit the target. <laughs> and uh, it's funny. I was at, at the, we were just telling Mark Schleif the story at, after the uh, press conference today. And, I told them the part about, well, the ball hits the flag, the people from the 17th tee go to the green, and they're like, oh, it hasn't dropped yet. When you put your arm around me and said, hey, Weaver, nice birdie, uh, that was the the funniest of the moments. Then obviously the ball dropped from the flag to the bottom of the cup, and uh, mayhem ensued, but a pretty special day. Uh, We always try to fire at flags, but... uh, you know, it's uh, it's a wild. It was a wild day, and I'm glad you and uh, Kevin Olszewski and Leah Hextall were there to witness it. Because honestly, no one else would have believed it unless you had actually seen it with your own eyes. So well, it was uh, it was quite it was quite a scene. And I was at Glendale on Saturday. I was golfing with a buddy, and I, of course, I was recanting the story. It's hard to go to those holes and not. And I'm I'm like, just by the way, this is where Weber hit his second hole in one in the same round. And he's like, yeah, tell me about that and stuff. And I, I remember also the foursome ahead of you on hole 16 and yelled, that's a hole in one. And we were going crazy. And then I yelled back. I'm like, that's his second one today. And there was a long pause. And then the language that came back and I'll, I'll <laughs> clean it up. It was like, no way. Shut up. Like the, like the yelling back and forth. But uh, we were on hole 17 when the pro came out from Glendale and said, by the way, like I remember winning 649 is a one in 13 million chance. And this is what one in 300 and some million. It was something like that. And uh, the one other thing that always laughed, and I recalled this story on the weekend too, Jimmy, when I was playing with someone else, uh, when we were doing all the social media posts, and remember the kids who saw it behind us, remember the kid hit his drive over the green through the golf cart when you were were posting the latest of the videos. uh, (laughs) And the young guy sheepishly came forward apologizing and were like, hey, man, don't worry, that was awesome. So... It just I was wild, that, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that was uh, another one of the funny moments there. Well, too, and just but... the the outpouring of support too. Like, I remember getting texts from people that were like, "Is this true? Like, did he actually hit his second hole in one?" And I'm like, "Yes, it is." And then just the 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 I guess the camaraderie sets in with people started texting you, "Hey, congratulations on two hole in ones in the same round. Enjoy your 88." Yeah, as, exactly. As right? if you could only so, shoot an 88 so with two hole in ones. <laughs> <laughs> but the beauty was that I did only, you know, it was a poor finish. I think triple, triple finish. So it was 87. So uh, it was a ridiculous round. But uh, remember too, right? So on, on 17, I had dead pull it into the middle of the 18th fairway, make a triple. And then on 18, I couldn't find my tee shot. So you guys were already almost on the green. I had to walk back to the tee to reload because yeah. we wanted it to be an official round. So I, uh, uh, not my best score, but the crazy part too, I almost had two Eagles on the par fives, right? I was just short on one and lipped out on the other. So it was, it was quite a crazy round, but, uh, one will always remember. That's for sure. That is something I'll never forget, Ken. And I didn't even do it. So congratulations to you once again, I was just happy to be there. And it is one of the things I'm, I'm asked about the most, like I said, even on Saturday and then yesterday I was in the Travis price classic and somebody did even approach and go, you're the guy that was with Ken Weeb when he got two holes and two aces in the same round. And I'm like, yes, yes, I am. Thank you. 
and I'm accepting. Well, you're the all-in-one whisperer because you saw the one yes. the week before too, right? Yes. So that was I, the crazy part. I saw three hole-in-ones in one week, and so I just tell people now, I'm like, yes, I was the guy that witnessed it, and I am accepting drinks just like he is. So uh, let's get into what Mark Shifley had to say today at the Manitoba Open and, and in discussion with Sarah Oleskin. Once again, congratulations to Sarah. Joined us Jets at noon on the new, the new gig for her. But uh, what would you take from Mark Shifley's comments? Yeah, it's interesting, Jimmy. I mean, I think uh, everyone was wondering about what the mood would be like. Mark was very upbeat. Uh, I think if, if there were people wondering about his level of commitment, I think those questions have been fully answered. Uh, sounded like a guy who, you know, quite frankly, is eager about next season. And I, and I don't think this was just a public relations play for Mark Scheifele. I mean, this is a guy who uh, we know he's kind of close to the vest at times and, uh by his own admission in that interview with Sarah, can be a cliche monster at times. But uh, I really appreciated how he uh, you know, attacked the, uh, the question that I asked him about the emotional toll of the last year and change. I mean, we often forget that as people who follow the game. I mean, this is a guy who went through a very tough suspension. I mean, he was very shaken by the out- outrage that was directed towards his family members. And, you know, for a guy who loves hockey to have to sit out the opener last year was difficult for him. He said it took him a couple months to feel like himself. And to me, he sounded, Jim, and we know this from having covered him since 2011. I mean, he sounded like a guy who loves hockey and is passionate about hockey. And I think in the last two years, Mark was really a guy who uh, felt the emotion of COVID and all those other things. And I think this is a guy who knows, quite frankly, uh, that he needs to have I just wrote this for sports.ca. He needs to have the most important season of his entire career. Yes, he's been a point of game player for six seasons, but uh, if this is a guy who wants to leave his mark and, you know, legacy and all those kinds of things, I mean, two years left in his contract, I think Mark is, he sounded to be very motivated to have an outstanding year. Uh, he spoke openly about the changes he's made in his training and uh, changing up his trainer and all those other things. And I mean, Jim, to me, he seems like a guy who's poised for, you know, probably his best season to date. And we know that doesn't just mean putting up offensive numbers. I mean, this is a guy who has to play a stronger two-way game. He knows that. He's going to have to work on that. And quite frankly, I expect Mark Scheifele to have the best season of his career. And I, and I I would include the 2018 run when he was a dominant force in the playoffs. Yeah, you know, Ken, I, I took him for his word after that Seattle game, and I thought this is a guy questioning his future with this organization and, and future overall. And then I, we discuss it for three months, and I take him for his word today too. Um, you're around him a lot more than I've been, uh, but I was around the first five or six years daily, and I, I think that uh, that's um, uh, like I said, it's a good news day for Jets fans. I think because I think he is all in. Um, I was a little taken aback about what he said that you know the media headlines and stuff, and I'm like, well, when you say that, that's what happens. You're an assistant captain on a team, and if you're questioning your own future with that team, I think it's fair to say there's going to be some headlines. But I also think that, and we hear this, Paul Maurice mentions it, most people mention it, to have those exit interviews after the 82-game season when they did not go your way, it's a little, you know, it's like anything that's that, that ends in, in disappointing fashion. It's probably best if you give it a couple of days to get some honest reaction out of that as well. So I, I think it's a good day. Um, if you're a Jets fan that Mark Shifley seems to be in. Now, if it's into the system and what Rick Bonus does is another question, I think that should still be asked. But I do think that what he said today is a positive for Jets fans. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, let's not beat around the bush here. I mean, Mark was not as invested as he needed to be in Dave Lowry's system. And from the early discussions, what he mentioned about Rick Bonus, uh, he sounds encouraged by what he's heard. And I mean, 
And he said by his own admission, I mean, they haven't got into the hockey hot stove and the X's and O's very much, but I think there were some very, I would imagine there have been some very direct conversations between Mark Scheifele and Rick Bonus about what he needs to do. I mean, the other thing that maybe some folks don't know, Tyler Sagan and Mark Scheifele are very close. Tyler Sagan has spoken uh, outwardly and with great passion about Rick Bonus and the impact he's had on his career, even though Tyler Sagan... Uh, his stock, I would say, or his, you know, his seasons have not gone as well since the, uh, in, you know, since the injuries he's had, but he still speaks incredibly highly of him. Uh, I think Mark's going in with a great attitude. I mean, he talked about, you know, what changes are going to be made and the fresh new voices and what that's going to mean. And uh, like I said, I, I, Mark to me sounded like the guy that we know, the guy who loves hockey, the guy who wants to get better and better each and every day. And again, a guy who understands the urgency of the situation. I mean, he was asked directly about, you know, himself, Blake Wheeler, Connor Hellebuck, and Pierre-Luc Dubois all having expiring contracts in two seasons. And Mark was quite frank, saying he thinks about that every day. I mean, he, he this is a guy that wants to get back to 2018. I mean, we're not going to get into the old hot tub time machine, but he wants to feel that kind of success again. And and quite frankly, Mark needs to play at an elite, elite level in order for the Jets to have a chance to get back there. This is not a one-man show. I mean, the Jets have Kyle Connor, Nikolai Ehlers, and a ton of other players, including the ones we've mentioned. But Mark has the ability to impact the game at both ends of the ice. Um, he's a big, strong guy. He can put up big time numbers, and if he can get that two-way game going, I think that you know he's going to be. He wants us to be his team, and I think he's been the face of the franchise in some ways for a lot of his tenure here. And I think that he's a guy that's never lacked motivation, but he's a guy who can flourish when he's pushed. And I think right now he's going to be in a situation where. He's, you know, who, you know who's more disappointed than any Jets fan about the season Mark Scheifele had last year? Mark Scheifele. So uh, now it's up to him to do something about it. And to me, uh, in talking to him, it sounded like he sounds like a guy who's extremely motivated and wants to, you know, wants to get back to being the player and, you know, and the person that we see on that daily basis. I mean, I think that, um, you know, Mark's joy level wasn't as high last year. That was obvious. Uh, and, you know, whether it was the emotional toll of the suspension or anything else, or maybe the way it was up and down. But when Mark is rolling, he can be a very effective player. And when he's rolling, he loves the game. And when you love the game as much as a guy like that does, uh, you can really have a you know massive impact, not only on your team's success, but on, on the fortunes and of a franchise. And, and that's the kind of player he has been in the past. And he needs to get back to that level for the Jets to be anything other than a bubble team. Only have about 30 seconds left, but let's talk about the Manitoba Open with him. News just coming out that he will tee off Thursday at 2.40 p.m., and he is taking this extremely serious. Oh, absolutely, Jimmy. I mean, the other thing, too, I mean, he played in 2018. didn't go as well for him, but he had some nice moments during that event, but I think he was a little bit nervous by his own admission. Uh, he was about a 10 handicap at that time when he was playing, and he's got her down to like about a 1.7, so... Uh, this is a guy who he knows what it means for those players that are on the tour to be grinding, and he wants to have a strong showing and be in the 70s. And, you know, if he could make the cut, it would be a massive bonus. But uh, he's a guy who's played a lot of great courses around the around the world in North America over the summer, and he's pretty jazzed about the opportunity to tee it up again. And uh, it's usually a lot of uh, fun. It's a great run event by the folks at Southwood and the folks on the PGA Tour of Canada. Uh, it's a great event if folks want to check out some golf. And, and I mean, Jimmy, we've seen it from covering it. I mean, there's guys that are PGA Tour winners that have also won this tournament, you know, including, you know, Tony Finau recently. So uh, it's a great event. You know, C.T. Pan's a guy who played in the Olympics. He's been on the tour. Kramer Hickok is a guy who played, won, won the event, played there in Cockrell recently. And 
uh, it's a fantastic event and uh, folks should check it out if, if you like golf and even if you only like golf as a casual observer uh, it's a really fun event and uh, you won't be disappointed if you make your way down there yeah we are looking forward to it here as 680 cjob and me personally too it's a great event we'll be at southwood thursday and friday broadcasting live for jets at noon and the jim tell show and some of our other programs too so we look forward to it and i'm sure we'll see you down there ken thanks for this today and once again happy anniversary aces <laughs> thanks man uh, have a great day and thanks for having me cheers